Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In our marriage liturgy, the bride and groom vow their faithfulness to one another until death us do part. And one day it will. As joyous as they are, all marriages begin with that reality. They will not last forever. But on the wedding day, the joy far outshines that reality. That part of the future can be safely tucked away for now. That was the situation of the disciples. At least Three times Jesus had told them that their relationship was going to end with death. His death. He told them that he was going to be betrayed, arrested, and crucified. He didn't tell them when. So the joy of being with him, hearing him teach, witnessing his miracles enabled them to safely tuck that reality away. And when he entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday with the large crowds and the shouts of Hosanna, it seemed that reality would be in the distant future. But how quickly things happened after that. It took only a couple of days and death parted them. And suddenly they were alone and felt very alone. So after the Sabbath, the women went to the tomb. As many a grieving widow visits the grave of her beloved now parted from her. That part of the story is no surprise. What is is who else went to the tomb of their beloved that day? An angel who came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. An angel whose appearance was like lightning and whose clothing was white as snow. An angel who made even hardened guards tremble and become like dead men. An angel who basically said this, You think that death has parted your loved one from you, that this is the end. It is not. He is not here because he has risen as he said he would. This is not the end. For there is one marriage that death cannot end. The marriage of the Lamb and his bride the church. That's why Jesus died, so he could rise and defeat death, that our joy have no end, that we be with him forever. Well, as you can certainly understand, it's not easy going from sadness and mourning to joy that quickly. The women departed from the tomb both 
with fear and great joy. Probably more than a bit befuddled, but wanting to believe, but cautious. Not wanting to believe and then crash back down again. But then Jesus met them. And their joy was the joy of a wedding day. They were united again. Took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Now I bring this up about marriage. And put Jesus and his resurrection into this kind of context. Which is perhaps a bit unusual for an Easter sermon. Because this is what the prophet Jeremiah does in the words we heard from him today. Now I have to confess, in all the weddings I've performed and all I've been to, I don't think I've ever, ever heard Jeremiah as one of the scripture readings. And with good reason, I think. Jeremiah isn't a very cheery prophet. Most aren't. Most are sent by God to call his people to repentance. And Jeremiah was certainly no exception. And the time of Jeremiah was a low point for the people of Judah. They had not just been unfaithful to God, their heavenly bridegroom. They had been very unfaithful. They had been spiritually adulterous with not a few false gods. And so the death of the nation was imminent. And yet in the midst of these words of warning, Jeremiah also speaks words of hope. The words we heard this morning. Words filled with marriage hope and joy. For first, the Lord declares through Jeremiah, I will be their God and they shall be my people. You probably don't realize it, but those are Old Testament marriage words. In our marriage liturgy, we ask bride and groom if they will take one another and they say, I will. Here, It is God who says, I will. Even though his people said, we won't. Even though his people had been unfaithful to him. The Lord continued his faithfulness to them. I will. And then notice the second half of that sentence. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Even though they right now are saying we won't. God is doing something. God is going to do something. So they shall be his people. That's a statement. That's a promise. For the Lord says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's not a love that runs hot and cold. A love that's here today and gone tomorrow. A love based on feelings or what have you done for me lately. 
And everlasting love could come only from one who is himself everlasting. And be not because of anything in you and me, but because of him. Because that's the kind of love he is and has for his bride. And everlasting love is what brides and grooms promise. But which only the Lord can deliver and give. And he does. You are loved with that kind of love. Then he goes on to say, Again, I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Which, if you read through the book of Jeremiah to this point, you say, what? Huh? Israel is anything but virgin. She has been unfaithful all over the place. And with all kinds of gods, she is in fact filthy and unclean. She is disgusting, really. So what's going on with these words? Well, two things. First, this is what forgiveness is. To speak of Israel as a virgin means that all her past and all your past too, her sins, her unfaithfulness, her adultery, her rebellion, her I won't, is gone. It's forgiven. For God's forgiveness is so total, so complete, that it's as if the sin never happened. Jeremiah says this later in his book, in a chapter which says, Your sin is remembered no more. And the psalmist says that your sin is separated from you as far as the east is from the west, and there is no distance greater than that. So when you are forgiven, you are restored. You are perfect in his eyes. Which is also hinted at with the word build in that verse. That's the verb used for Eve in the garden. When God created her, he literally built her, it says, for Adam. The sinless bride for the sinless husband in the first marriage. So the way it was is the way it will be again. Just as the perfect bride Eve was built from the side of Adam, so will the perfectly forgiven church, the bride of Christ, be built from the side of Christ. When his side is pierced on the cross, And his life-giving, forgiveness-giving blood and water pour out. Then next for Jeremiah, there is music and dancing and vineyards and their fruit. A party. A wedding feast. And then these words. Arise. And if that word doesn't stand out for you like a sore thumb on the day of Easter the day of our Lord's arising, His resurrection, 
Arise and let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. Those are Easter words. New life words. Because those words don't make sense for the people of Jeremiah's day. For Zion, the city of God, the dwelling place of God, according to Jeremiah's prophecy, was about to be no more. It was going to be destroyed, wiped out. But there was coming a day when God's people would arise from their graves and go up, ascend to the city of God, to the dwelling place of God. And then would begin the marriage feast that has no end. These words of Jeremiah that we heard today are his vision of Easter. Some 500 years before it happened. Those things things were about to get very bad for the people. And there would be much death and destruction. God was going to raise them up again. He was going to make things right again. God is faithful. And when he makes a marriage vow, he keeps it. Which means that unlike our marriages, because of Jesus' resurrection this day, death cannot part us from our Savior. Though we die, his resurrection means that one day we will arise and go up to the Lord our God. For as we heard also from St. Paul today, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's another promise for you. Which we need Right? Because like the people of Jeremiah's day, we look around and we see a lot of death and destruction in our world. I don't have to go through the litany of things again. You know them. You see them. You are saddened and sorrowed by them. But we are not without hope. For Easter is not about bunnies or chocolate, but about our bridegroom who so loved his bride that he laid down his life for us. So that dying, he defeat our death. So that he wash away the stain of our sin and unfaithfulness. And fulfill his promise. I will. And I never won't. And until that day, until death no longer parts us. And the marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom begins. He feeds us now. The Lamb's high feast, as we will sing. A foretaste of the feast to come. Take, eat, take, drink. This is my body. This is my blood. This is the blood of the promise. The blood of forgiveness. The food you need, my beloved. And as you come and eat and drink, set your minds on things above. Don't get mired and stuck in the things of this world and life. Yes, there is much to fear and worry about. But your life is not here or dependent on these things. Your life is safe with me, Jesus says. 
And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. For as Jesus has already said, through the prophet Jeremiah so many years ago, I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And he has made it so. So as we sang in the intro, it we will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. And here is where these words will become a reality for us, until death us do part. For when we die in Christ, we will rise to life in Christ, and then we will finally and fully be parted from all sin, from death, and from the devil. Our divorce, not from God, but from evil, will be complete and final. For the Lord will reign forever and ever. And because of this day, because of Jesus, because of his resurrection, because of his promise, we will reign with him. Never to be parted again. For Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.